I got them to watch The Christmas Prince because we were watching Person of Interest again all the time. I've never seen either of those. It's so many questions about a Christmas prince. <laughs> so many. So if anybody wants to talk to me about it, I'd be willing. I have just questions like, um, does no one do background checks when someone wanders up to a palace? Come on. <laughs> Come on. This is magical Christmas land, so no, they do not. Yeah. It's Netflix. I'm assuming. Like I said, I haven't seen it. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's amusing, but I mean, we could watch it together. I'll watch it again because I love the the actress from iZombies in it. So she's green. Oh, is that where I know her face from? It's weird. She's not really pale, so. Yeah, as I was looking at the thing, I'm like, she looks really familiar. Like, why? Why do I know her? That would do it because I watched the thing for. Okay. That makes sense. So, so did you go to 12 Masses for Christmas? I know you like your Mass. I did not, actually. You only went to six? No, I didn't go to any. You didn't go to any? <laughs> what kind of Catholic are you? A shitty one. A normal one? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, just like 98% of everyone else, too. Yeah. It's all good. I drove, what, you drove like 40 minutes to go to church? So okay, wait. Tell me. You texted me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell people what you told me, because you were like, I didn't have to hear about aliens this year. It's a normal service, <laughs> and I vaguely remember you telling me last year about your the sermon that you heard was all about <laughs> aliens. But I don't remember the specifics of it, and I'm gonna need more information. So, as you probably guess, I'm not Catholic like Ashley. I'm a Methodist, and the way the Methodist Church works um, is that they every like every couple of years they'll switch who your pastor is. It's just kind of like so no one gets complacent. You have to kind of keep working and whatnot. And we had a really great pastor. God, she must have been there like eight, ten years, which is rare for them because you can request that they move. But you can't. For the record, um, Catholic Church reformed that policy after all the abuse stuff. So, like, every six years, you end up getting a new pastor. Oh, okay. Like, they rotate them around now. But our new pastor, I'm not going to say his name because my mom still is involved with church leadership there. But the new pastor, like, we were really excited as a younger guy with a family. And he... I mean, I will say English, I don't think it's his first language. He's from the Philippines. And, but he's just, we joke and we call him like the consultant pastor because he's not really at the church a lot. And, you know, you're a pastor. That should be your first time job. I'm just picturing like a freelance pastor. Well, it's hard because like our church um, is in Euclid and we, you know, it's kind of, it's, a changing area and you have to be really supportive to keep the numbers up, which our last pastor like grew our church really, really well with a lot of outreach and all of that. Well, he, he's not very good at that. He's not really good at sermons. I've been to a couple. They all tend to be 
and this sounds bad and I know how bad this sounds but I was grading a lot of papers and I had come home from school and I mean I had just graded probably like 40 blue books with really shitty like some good essays but some shitty essays and I'm sitting there Christmas Eve last year and mind you it's seven o'clock service and we have a huge church and it's maybe a third full so that means like under 100 people for seven o'clock service which is prime wow. service yeah wow yeah that's not but great. star wars had just come out that movie with amy adams talking to aliens had come out and wait you know the one what? where she's like the interpreter she's a linguist and oh okay yeah, yeah <laughs> he yeah. was trying to get hip with the youth i guess and the whole sermon ended up being like, <laughs> what if if aliens came to Earth on Christmas, aka every Doctor Who Christmas special, and they were like, it's an alien report, right. and be like, what's this Christmas about? But let me tell you, I'm giving more enthusiasm <laughs> in my voice than he is. So I'm like sitting there grad school me and I just I can't help it my brain starts grading his argument and everything I know I was like sitting there and I was like this is a horrible thing to be doing but there it's I, I can I can tell you I've read so many essays where they have a good point like they try to have this really interesting point and then they just go ramble off and they weasel their way back and then they go ramble off and they weasel their way back but, you know, it's Christmas. It's an easy one. You pick a message of Christmas. You write a sermon about it with a strong argument about, like, Jesus is born. Yay. <laughs> it's not hard. <clears throat> oh, my God. You don't have to bring aliens into it to get people into a Christmas sermon. Like, they're only there. Like, people come for Christmas and Easter. We call them Christer Catholics. It's great. Um, because we're salty. It's, it's wonderful and like it, do you, it's not like you said it's not hard like it's pre-written for you you're good and Christmas is an easy way to get a lot of people like new people into your church because if they come they're like I really like this uh, maybe I'll come more right. often yeah right mm-hmm. or like if they're visiting with family then like yeah maybe they'll come visit more and it will be fun. But no, you got to turn it into a Doctor Who Christmas special. And not a even... Doctor Who Christmas special has more, like, enthusiasm than that. <laughs> now I'm just picturing Matt Smith barging into your church. Like, excuse me, sir. What is Christmas? And the pastor And me crying. Like, what? Yeah, just you falling on the ground dead. Oh, just, my God. That's, that's the end of Courtney. Yeah. Uh, what a way to go, uh, though. Uh, now that's the only way I want to go. <laughs> so we should probably tell people what they're listening to. Oh, right. Uh, so this is the Cult of Domesticity podcast. And we're sorry. We're two best friends tell each other stories a bajillion miles apart. I'm Courtney. I'm Ashley. And this is your week, Ashley. So it is. It's not a superstar. I'm just going to sit here and knit. Cause I'm cool. Cause you're weird. I need to make hats for people. 
Start your story, asshole. Okay. Don't tell me what to do. Okay. <laughs> I like that I'm like, don't tell me what to do. And then I immediately do what you told me to do. That's not our relationship in a nutshell. Um, so, I'm sorry. I'm dying. Um, so, we're going to talk about... Wait, wait. At least... Okay. Should we address the fact that I actually was dying during our last recording? And I made it sound a lot better? Probably. We... Let's talk about the fact that we both had sinus infections at the same time. And we're, what, six billion states apart? Right. <laughs> Tell me a story. I demand a story. Let's get into it. We gotta go quick, because I don't have a whole lot of time here. But, okay. So, <laughs> your story today is about a woman named Pamela Hupp. Hupp? That's the weirdest name. It, like, it's not a weird name. It's Hupp? just, it feels Hupp? weird Hupp? to say. Hupp? Yep. So, when she was 58 years old, she was charged with first-degree murder. Just standard. Right. Charged with murder. That's what does. Have yep. a party. 58th birthday. Gets crashed by the cops. It's fine. Uh, no, it wasn't her birthday. I don't know. I don't, maybe it was. But, so, she grew up in, it says, an orderly Catholic household in Delwood, I'm assuming Missouri, because this is from an article in St. Louis Magazine. It's always the Catholic! I know, for real, we're the worst. So, <laughs> I'm gonna be in so much trouble. No, um, <coughs> sorry. So, she was the third of four kids. Their mom was a school teacher, and their dad was an electric worker at Union Electric. So, he's in a union. Um, she was like a normal kid. She had was like one of the easygoing, fun kind of people, but like she was considered boy crazy so her senior year they went she <laughs> they went to their she went to her senior prom with this kid who was like the soft-spoken well-liked soccer player and three months later in quotes they had to get married i wonder why yeah probably because of something um prom night Cause they murdered someone and they needed immunity no, that's later. Is that not the correct answer? That comes later. So they they were married for like six years. So it says Pam did the responsible thing, but her friend sensed a wistful resentment in that everybody else was caught up in the world of college while here she was sitting in a cheap apartment spooning strained beats. Um, can we please say wistful resentment sounds like a great album title? I was gonna say it sounds like a good name for a band. That or or a Dateline episode. Oh, you know. You know. Or like 48 hours, something like that. Or Snapped. Just all of the above. Snapped. Snapped. Let's go with Snapped. Okay. Snapped Crackle Pop. So, <laughs> and the lesser known fourth serial elf, Murder. Um. Okay, that's really dumb. I'm cutting that out. So, the marriage lasted for six no, years. No, keep it in. No. Keep it in, motherfucker. You can't make me. So, okay, that marriage lasted for six years, and then soon after that divorce, Pam marries Mark Hup 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 Hup. So, mm-hmm. he was this guy who played minor league baseball for the Texas Rangers, but didn't get drafted, so he became a carpenter. Um, the, the respectable backup choice for minor league baseball players. I mean, maybe he spends all day making baseball bats, you don't know. 
I'm just going to picture him as Ron Swanson now. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so Pam's first kid was a daughter. Um, like the kid from the that she had to get married because of. I'm sorry. I just enjoyed her first kid was a daughter. Well, I don't know. And then so she has a little boy with the second husband. So they the moved, hop up. Yeah, they moved to Naples, Florida, in 1989, and then moved. You're giving me a Florida story. It's not. It's a Missouri story. I don't know why I brought up Florida. Um, so they moved back in 2001, and then they start flipping houses, quote-unquote, on the side, because that's a casual career choice that you can just do, apparently. It's not casual, I will tell you. Unless you're paying someone to do it, it's not casual. Nope. So Pam's main gig was a clerical job at State Farm. So she meets this... Wait. Does she know Jake from State Farm? I would assume that she does. I also thought her main gig was going to be, like, stripping or something, just the way you made it seem. I mean, if you look at her mugshot, like, you kind of assume that she's some sort of sex worker. And I know that that's not fair to sex workers. But, okay, so I guess it's not her mugshot. It's, like, a court drawing, but... That is a beautiful painting. Right? She's, I mean, it captures the crazy eyes perfectly. Yeah, I don't want to stare at this anymore. Yeah. Staring into my soul and I don't like it. <laughs> okay, so she works at State Farm. She meets her soon-to-be bestie. Her name is Betsy Furia. Um, she was 32, and it says she looked like a greeting card illustration, which I kind of love. Um, <laughs> it's She has a round face, curly hair, pink cheeks, bright blue eyes, and... She was a part-time DJ, which I love. That's just sad. No, it's I mean, she, like, was this emotional, bubbly, like, could-make-anyone-dance kind of person. So, like, DJ, that's kind of perfectly suited to her. Um, so it says, Pam liked to party, too, but she was far more self-contained. So she was, like, always the first person in the office in the morning, like... She was really insightful when it comes to human nature, that sort of a thing. Like, she was never mad and, like, strangely good at office politics. Who is good at office politics besides sociopaths? Right. Oh, no. As we get into this, you'll, yeah, she's a little crazy. And by a little, I mean a lot. So she would, like, tell her boss that she was involved somewhere like the FBI, like something with a security clearance that was kind of in the past but might still be involved in it. So he was always, like, felt like she was letting little bits and pieces of information fall, but then being, like, pulling a full-on Hagrid, like, I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. Is that what we're calling it now? Oh, a full-on Hagrid? Yeah. That's what I'm calling it. Okay. So, um, it says that, like, an employee came in one day and told most, like, told everyone in the office that they felt bad that they hadn't disclosed an insurance payout for a new roof, but then ended up not putting the roof on. So, like, they took the money to get a new roof and didn't put one on. And, like, came into the office and was talking about how they felt bad about it. And then, like, two months later, um, received a letter 
like the the boss got a letter from whoever it was that had bought the house that was supposed to have the new roof but didn't and was like the letter mm-hmm. was asking if it was true because they had received a letter on like letterhead from supposedly from the boss like t- like letting the homeowner know and like the homeowner replied back like is that for real like l- weird stuff like that and it's like he suspect like the boss suspected that Pam said something god damn it Pam it's weird manipulative shit like that throughout the whole thing you know what I mean like stuff that just takes an insane amount of effort for like why why bother so basically um like there was some weird stuff happening in her neighborhood at the time like there were cars that got keyed and like employees cars were keyed um it says this is a quote it says neighbors recall a few odd incidents at the time pile of bloody animal bones left in someone's yard several mean-spirited anonymous letters at the time people shrugged them off but in retrospect they wonder so i don't know i don't know how fair it is to uh, just assume that that was pam but like it seems crazy enough for her yeah it's again it's random random bits of awfulness for no apparent reason but like yeah i don't know the article seems to imply (laughs) that it was her and that's like my first gut instinct too but that could be because they lead off the article with picture like that picture of her in prison orange you know what i mean yeah so they're kind of leading you on i mean they are but when you get to like the meat of what she's accused of and convicted eventually spoiler alert convicted of like (laughs) the little stuff seems a lot more likely so Pam and Betsy kind of lose touch, but then in January of 2010, Betsy is diagnosed with breast cancer, and so Pam mm-hmm. comes back into the kitchen, back into the picture, to like s- offer her support and like to be there and be her friend and all that stuff, which is which is good. Um, so Betsy's dad remembers asking her if she made financial provisions for her daughters because she was, it was, it was terminal and oh yeah. And, um, she had been worried about her daughters and her husband, like spending the money foolishly and then not having anything to fall back on. So it says, or he says, I'm sorry. He says that she asked about a month later for her dad to come to one of her treatments at the cancer place. But then like, when he got there, Pam was already there, so they couldn't really talk. And then from then on, it says Pam took Betsy to every one of those sessions. So it's not suspicious. It seems like kind. Well, so right now it seems like that, but give me 20 seconds and it won't. So like Betsy goes into some sort of remission. So it looks like she beat the cancer and then yay. So Russ planned, um, she and Russ, her husband, had planned this, like, celebration of life cruise for November 2011, and they invited close friends and family. But then in October, she finds out that the cancer had spread to her liver. So, like, they went on the cruise anyway, um, and I guess they had a really good time. Like, they swam with dolphins. It was a whole thing. So even though Pam wasn't part of the cruise group, 
it says she spent almost every day with Betsy when they when she returned. Um, on December twenty second, she went to Betsy's tennis club to watch her play. Like the next day, they went to a library. Um, where Betsy asked the librarian to witness her signature on a change of beneficiary form. So she, nope. Yep. So she, it removed Russ and makes Pam the sole beneficiary of her estate. So suddenly a lot less innocent taking her to all of her treatments and like spending all this time with her. Like it casts that whole thing in a much more manipulative light. Don't like it. Yeah. Not great. So... Tuesday, December 27th, Pam shows up at Betsy's mom's apartment to take Betsy to her chemo. And um, it says that Betsy had texted Pam earlier telling her not to worry about taking her because her mom's friend who had been her babysitter was going to take her and she wanted to spend time with her. Um, And she later tried to claim that she never got the text, but the phone records show that her response was just bummer. Huh. Interesting. She ends up, she like drives alone to the cancer center and then sits with Betsy and Bobby through the whole treatment. And Betsy was like super surprised and not entirely stoked that Pam was there. Um, That's a great sign, you know? Yeah. Well, like she told her, like, don't, I appreciate it, but don't worry about taking me because this other person is going to be there. And she specifically said she wanted to spend one on one time with her. And Pam shows up anyway and butts in. So, like, I wouldn't be stoked either. Um, so, it's a, it says, um, sorry, it says, after the treatment, Pam drove home, had a quick dinner with her husband, and then drove back to the cancer center to take Betsy home. Um, and it said that Russ had planned to pick Betsy up after her treatment at her mom's house. Um, so, at noon... He said, he texted her, going to game, then come get you. Um, so, like, it was his game night. And uh, he said, so call when he's on the way. It shouldn't be too late. And then after chemo, she told him, Pam wants to bring me home to bed, um, saying her white blood cell count was really low. She needs to rest. So Russ is like, she is bringing you. Um, and Betsy says, yes, she offered and I accepted. Didn't get much sleep. Mom snored. So Pam later tries to say that it was Betsy who asked for a ride. But either way, Pam shows up, um, takes her home, and it says, and when they pulled into her driveway, Pam called her husband and put Betsy on the phone. And she was like, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Like, she's singing. She's bubbly as ever. So basically, when Russ gets home that night, um, he walks in. He'd stopped to get, like, Snapple at... A convenience store and um he would pick he picked up like dog food cigarettes a bunch of other stuff that he had to grab so he gets home around i don't know like it says he left game night about nine and they had been like smoking and like having a fun boys night basically um so he gets home so since his wife has cancer i think he kind of deserves to have a poker night and kind of let loose right well, so it turns out they, it wasn't, like, poker. It was, like, they were going to play Role Master, but they didn't have enough players. So they ended up just, like, watching the new Conan the Barbarian and, like, Part of the Road, which they felt, like, was really boring. But so basically he leaves there at 9. He stops at Arby's. He gets a bunch of other stuff, like, 
he walks into the house when he gets there and um he finds betsy laying on the floor no he said he thought that she was feeling sick like that was his first instinct but then he knelt down and he sees there's like blood on her hair and around her neck and her wrists are cut and there's like a knife sticking out of her throat like so i'm gonna guess it wasn't her so his first thought was that she had done it to herself because she had tried to die by suicide before like with she i guess she tried to cut her wrists but so he was afraid that the latest news of like the cancer spreading may have caused her to try again so basically he calls 911 they put her time of death about an hour before um before he gets there so it wasn't like (sighs) this part is really graphic and gross but i feel like it's important um it's so okay wait so if you are queasy you don't like this stuff skip ahead yeah so basically it says the her wrists weren't just slashed the knife had been driven all the way to the bone and like it had cut into her skull and her eye and her throat like this was there was some force behind it enough to where it couldn't have been her that did it which is why so he tells okay i guess the graphic part is pretty much pretty much over oh honey that poor that poor girl that poor woman right she you're battling cancer and you get murdered yeah so russ told the 911 operator my wife killed herself which the first responders were like that's ludicrous but it turns out that a lot of the stab wounds were hidden by her clothes so uh, okay. in the dark, like he probably wouldn't have been able to see. And he was basically like, "Oh my god!" Right, and he was freaking. Like when out. he came in, he was just like, "Yeah." Um. So in total, there were like fifty-five stab wounds. Holy crap! Yeah. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Mm-hmm. My hometown murder. Right. Where it was just like a ridiculous number of stab wounds, yeah. and you're like, "Oh, oh my god, this is just too vicious." Yeah. So, um. The first officer on the scene, who's Lincoln County Sheriff's Deputy Chris Hollingsworth, noted that Russ was visibly upset, but, quote, had limited tears coming from his eyes. Um, Maybe he just doesn't cry. Some people just don't cry. Or maybe he's in fucking shock. Yeah, that's true. No one knows how they're going to react when you walk up on a body. Especially when it's someone that you love. Yeah. So um, on the 911 call, he was freaking out. But the operator tries to get him to calm down and get his wife's medicines. And so his voice steadies and he's moving around the house. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, Hollingsworth sits with him in the police car and tries to distract him with, like, talk of their shared childhood neighborhood. Like, I don't think they knew each other, but they came from the same area. So he was trying to get him to talk about that and, like, to distract him. So That's a good cop. Well, not really, because... (laughs) Like, they chat normally for a while, and, like, he laughs. Like, they laugh together. And so he's like, this is weird. Like, it throws up red flags. And so it was, like, whenever he was left alone to think and, like, didn't have something else to focus on, his emotions would well up, and it would, like, be completely overwhelming and over the top, which was also suspicious to the police. Um, To me, that just seems like grief. Yeah. Because I've had... I had have had one situation in my life mm-hmm. where there's overwhelming grief and 
you can keep your shit together in front of people when you have to do stuff, but... But the minute that that's gone... Yeah, the one more recently, people said, what are you doing here? Why don't you go up home? And I said, there's nothing I can do. Right. We're waiting for someone to die who's very close to me. And I taught like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you saw me deal with all of that. The difference is that while I should have done stuff to distract myself, I didn't. You shut down. I distract myself. Yeah. So that just shows you, like, there's so many different ways to grieve. And no no way that you grieve is wrong, really. Right. It's only suspicious when, I guess, you seem so detached. Well, and I think that's what the police interpreted his ability, like, in the moment to be separated from what was going on, like, to to let himself be distracted. You know what I mean? I think that's what they interpreted that as, was complete detachment. But so, like... His disconnect was different than my disconnect, where I just wanted to forget for a couple hours and be normal again. His was, he was trying to keep it together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, like, this is this is such a stupid fucking question. One detective asks why he didn't embrace his wife, and it says in parentheses, who was lifeless, her tongue hanging out, and a knife sticking out of her throat. Like, no shit. I don't know. I've heard, don't a lot of people, when, like, they find, they, like, try to, like, grab them or something? I mean, maybe, I don't know. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that unnatural that, like, he wasn't, trying to hug her because if she if even if she didn't appear lifeless like Mm. you don't want to knife on her neck yeah like you don't want to hurt her if she's still alive and could feel the pain oh yeah if there's a chance that that knife is what's keeping her alive because it's still in there you don't want to move that you know what i mean very true so like if even if she wasn't obviously not no longer with us like you, it's one of those things where you see in TV all the time, don't move someone who's had head trauma. And all he can oh, yeah. see of her injuries is on her, like, her neck and above, neck and up. Yeah, because you can either oh. cause them to bleed out right. or paralyze them. Right. I've dealt with enough people who've had head trauma. Right. Like, it doesn't strike me as that strange that he didn't try to, like, be all over her and hug her. And, like, maybe some people would and maybe that's normal for them. But this is, that's not how this dude greets clearly yeah just from how he was acting that night so he takes a polygraph and he fails so Hmm. then they start looking at him like as a suspect can we please talk about the fact that polygraph isn't a hundred percent no and what the vital signs that it measures could very easily be altered by the phrasing of the questions and how he's barely keeping it together as it is yeah So it's not surprising that he failed because they had him take it the day after his wife was murdered. Oh, no, that's in poor taste. Right. Like, she's not even buried yet. And they're having him, like, sit there and have to listen to everything that they're accusing him of doing in detail. Like, of course, he's going to fucking fail. I mean, I get it from the cop side because you you have to work quickly. And, like, the thing is... The way that this article makes it seem, I don't think they let him sleep that night because he was in an interrogation with them from, like, that night. So if he gets home at 9, 
they're investigating, they're doing all this, they're questioning him overnight, and then the next day, he's taking the polygraph. Yeah. So not only is he grieving, probably starting to come out of whatever shock he was probably in, and now he's exhausted and sleep-deprived. And you're going yeah. going through in detail all the injuries that she suffered, trying to figure out, you know what I mean? Like, I get that they're looking at the most viable suspect in their eyes, but of course he's going to it's, it's setting him up for like, failure. There's no way he's going to pass that. And I'll just tell you what I know based on the people yeah. in law enforcement in my yeah. life. They said the best way to get people to talk is telling them, basically making them come to your side and say, like, well, you know, we need the true side of the story. What's what's the truth? You know the truth. <laughs> Sorry, that's how Sally got yelled at in court. Right. My godmother works in sex crimes, child sex crimes. Um as a social worker oh sally basically there's other ways to do it where you're yeah well and the thing is like they tell him that he failed and he keeps saying i found her like that when i got home i walked in the door and i found her and they shake they're like no you killed your wife so they're straight up only looking at him so it's it is shoddy police work yeah and so i mean they talk to pam And Pam says that Betsy had wanted to move back to Lake St. Louis closer to like her chemo treatments and her tennis and her friends and all that. And so she had come up with this plan to move into her mom's old house. And so Pam tells the detectives that Betsy was going to try to bring it up with Russ that evening, but she knew he'd be mad um, and that he had like a violent temper. And Pam tells them like, I feel guilty about leaving her to face him alone. So pretty much the police, this is what they see. They see the dark fantasies of the role-playing game that they were going to play that night at game night, but couldn't. They see the rocky history of their marriage, which apparently, I mean, he did have a temper, apparently. Um, his going back and forth between super calm and then hysterical. Pam's story about him being, like, a dick and super greedy. And they're like, okay, case closed. It's this dude. Like, we got him go us so he's charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action on january 4th so this is like basically and i mean the article that i'm reading from the st louis magazine it's a long read it goes into detail of how russ's trial goes and the case against him but pretty much what happened was pam did it and pam framed him so like after right so pretty much after um after he goes on trial and he was i'm pretty sure he was convicted hang on um there was some debate about what the actual time of death was but eventually so russ's defense attorney was convinced that betsy died before 7:21 yeah p.m. Um, they think that she'd had some sort of um, okay. a spasm, like uh, it's called a cadaveric spasm, which causes rigor. Basically, um, it's rare and not universally acknowledged as like a th- even a thing because it's so rare. But it would account for why Betsy's body was so rigid when they found her. Um, it's something that happens if death is 
preceded by extreme physical exertion. So like if she well, like fighting or running or I don't know, receiving a shitload of chemicals into your body yeah. for hours at a time. Um, and then having to fight someone off. I don't know. But he says the expert witness says it's rare, not entirely accepted, but it's possible. So So they're just saying it's it's really rare, but it seems like it fits the facts. Like and so right, they're saying it's rare, but it could be. And that's where the debate about what time this woman died comes from. Because if she didn't die at 8-something or 8.40 or whatever, um, because he called it 9.40. Sorry. um, He called it 9. He called 911 at 9.40. So if she had died about Mm -hmm. an hour before he gets there. um, So, like, he gets home at, like, 9.37, according to his phone's location records which we all know are not super accurate but accurate enough um accurate enough in this case yeah that's what i think is crazy think about it you're uh, like google has such a better pinpoint on you than your phone right which terrifies me google can find me wherever but basically um russ is found guilty and he was sentenced to life without parole so this is i mean (sighs) it's hard because you know it's not him. Yeah. Like, it ends up that, again, Pam Pam framed him. Like, she did it. Yeah. And she did it for the money. Um, he was granted a new trial in 2015. Why? Um, because of, the, it's called a Mooney motion. So, the motion tells the court there's new evidence for the judge to continue to consider sorry new evidence for the judge to consider which might negate the guilty verdict so that's um basically the trusts that betsy and pam had set up with pam as the executor for betsy's estate yeah they're revocable trusts and pam revokes them for no apparent reason what is revocable what is a revocable trust a revocable trust is something that like (sighs) so like a trust fund you know what that is, right? Yes. So a revocable trust is a type of trust fund where if the person, the administrator in charge of the estate or the trust itself mm-hmm. feels that it's no longer in the best interest of the person whose estate it is for the trust to be distributed, like they can revoke it. They can say, okay, you're not getting this money. And then the, if the person has already passed, that money stays with whoever the executor is. I'm just going to say a little pertinent right now. Yeah. So that's basically the evidence. Um, that's, that's just so sad. Right. So basically, Betsy, because she had been afraid that the girls would go through the bunny, like, immediately, pretty much, she had set Pam up as the, um, as the person in charge of the trust. Yeah. And she had intended always intended for the to hold them to certain criteria before they get the money so meaning no wild behavior no spending on parties no buying cars that kind of thing how old are the girls um, i'm not sure okay teenagers they think oh i mean that's kind of fair right and i mean it's not even that part's not suspicious the suspicious part is um so basically Pam inherited the entirety of Betsy's estate because she was a sole beneficiary. And she's urged to set up this revocable trust for Betsy's daughters because that was the intent that was the intention going in. So 
so she does it, which she waits until a week before the November 2013 trial, so the first trial, and she puts $100,000 in it, and that's it. So by then, she and her husband had bought a new house. She oh, tells fucking hell. She tells people that she didn't use the trust money that she'd cashed in IRAs from MetLife. Uh-huh. But like, sure, sure, because everyone does that to buy a house. Right. Just let's empty our retirement account. Okay. So, basically, Pam admits that the trust, which, I mean, after that trial, she takes the money, pretty much out all of the money out of that trust. You know, the 100000 that she'd put in for the sake of appearances, she takes it out, and then she revokes the trust entirely. So she just takes, she gets rid of it. It's gone. So then there's nothing. And that's, that's the evidence that, okay, so... There's another person with motive here, and yeah. that person is Pam, and that's the evidence that grants that gets them the grounds for the motion to reconsider the case, which had only been granted three times before in Missouri history. So this was number four. So he gets a new trial, and they present this other person as um, as another person who could be, you know, like they have another suspect. Yeah, is basically what they're pointing out. So, pretty much, she has some sort of a head injury that she was receiving workman's comp for, but it's real shady about, like, what the injury actually is. Okay, wait, real quick. Do you think she has a McDonald's triad? I don't know. I don't think so, because I don't think... She did... So, it's head trauma, wetting the bed... I mean, she has a head trauma. There's nothing... It doesn't say anything about wetting the bed... And the only thing that she might have done to small animals wouldn't have been in her childhood. And that would be the bloody animal bones in her neighbor's yards, which we're not even sure was her. So I don't think she does. Okay. Like she might. This is, this is only one article, but I don't know. I feel like if she did, this article would have brought it up because they're like full on. The, the, the theme of the article is pretty much she's a garbage human. I mean it's not a good title it's not wrong it's not one that you want but so there are two other people who she's suspected of having a hand in their death one of whom being if I remember correctly her own mother what okay so basically she the head injury is important because it causes memory loss and while that's certainly true that they can usually it's not this selective so like there are certain things that she refuses to answer because she says she doesn't remember and she doesn't want to give the wrong answer uh-huh basically all of those things that she says she doesn't remember center around this one thing anything else she's has perfect recall or at least is confident enough to give an answer you know what i mean yeah that's so, definitely not suspicious right so like she would okay so less than 12 hours after the murder Like, she would say, she would do like we do when we're trying to find information. She'd be like, blah, 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 blah. But for details that she found boring. So, like, if they were asking her a question and she was just, she was answering, but then, like, she gets into the details and she's like, she finds herself being bored instead of continuing with the details that might be, I don't know, helpful to police trying to solve your friend's murder. She just goes, blah, blah, blah. So she's a kid who didn't do her homework. Pretty much. Um, or like, 
if they ask her a yes or no question, she'll say, in my mind, that's correct. Or like, she says that she won't take a polygraph and someone says, why not? And she just comes back with, why? So she's like trying to sidestep their shit, basically. <laughs> and it's super Wait, wait, awesome. I'm just picturing like her, like anytime they come at her, just like slide to the left, slide <laughs> to the right. Take it back I'm down, y'all. What up this time? Crisscross. <laughs> yeah. She's doing the cha-cha slide. Okay, so pretty much while, I don't know, while she like, while this other trial is going on, mm-hmm. Pam shoots some guy. She shoots a guy. Casually or like? Um, not really. Like, this guy's name was Louis Gumpenberger. <laughs> These names are great. Um, wait, wait. Really? His name is Gumpenberger? I could not make that up if I tried. I think you know me better than that. (laughs) So Hup tells the police that he tried to assault her, demanding, quote, Russ's money. So the money that she's like low key alleged to have taken, even though that's exactly what she did. Um, And like, so her story is that she went through store shopping, went to her daughter's house, which is like two miles away from this guy's house. The victim's house um but no one was home so she tells them that she went back to her house 13 miles away and as she pulled up she saw a man dropped off by someone in a silver four-door sedan that sped away she said she didn't know anybody named russ although when interviewed a second time she remembers russ Faria. so then the police have their theory which they announced on the 23rd august 23rd so like a week after, roughly a week, maybe a week and a half after the shooting. Um, their theory is that she lured the man to her house by saying she was a Dateline producer and offering to pay him to reenact a 911 scenario for the show, and then she shot him in cold blood. Don't bring Dateline into this! Right, you leave Dateline alone. So, leave Dateline alone. They, they try really hard to read okay so dateline is involved because they had already done like three episodes on the um the russ faria case and they're planning to do at least five which is more coverage than it's given any case except oj simpson and jamine ramsey okay listeners i'll put a poll up on instagram probably like what thursday or friday if you or not instagram on twitter i'll put a post poll up on twitter if you want us to live tweet as we watch this let us know. I'll oh, at least figure out what episodes they are. But yeah. Um, so basically, they feel like her motive is to throw suspicion on Russell Faria for the prior murder where she's the only other logical suspect. Which, yeah, like all of that lines up. I believe it. Um, basically, what breaks that case is six days before Pam's 911 call, a woman in St. Charles County had filed a police report about another in- troubling incident involving 911. So around mid-morning, this blonde girl, or blonde woman, sorry, had introduced herself as a Dateline producer and had offered her $1,000 to reenact a 911 call scenario for the show. The woman said yes, but then panicked because there's no Dateline business card, no camera crew, and would they really pay $1,000 for that? So she changes her mind, and then the blonde woman drives her home. So the footage on her home security camera shows Pan's car with the license plate clearly legible. So, like, they have a pattern, which makes their 
I'm sorry. How dumb is she? Right. Seem way more plausible. Get get fake license plates if you're going to commit to this shit. <sighs> so an hour after she's arrested, um, she stabbed herself with a pen. Like, Excuse she, me? She stabbed herself in the, with a pen in the neck and in the wrists. And like her mugshot has the bandages like around her neck from where she stabbed herself. Okay. There were some, like I said, there were three people that she's, she's just too connected to, to not be like, to not have a connection. And I, in between the two guys, I I feel like it's her mom. And I'm trying to keep this somewhat short for time's sake, but if you have a chance to read the article, it's called... We'll tweet it out. Uh, it's it's Bananas. And it does go into detail about the, the other person. Um, it's called The Unimaginable Infamous Case of Pam Huff by St. Louis. It's by Jeanette Cooperman in St. Louis Magazine. And it's insane. But it, it just, it seems like so much effort to go to for, for what? Why? Why? Fun? Why? Money? I don't understand. I mean... The money, yes, Gold. but all she had to do was wait. So, like, there was a way out of that that did not involve murder. If all she was in it for was the money, like, all she had to do was wait a little bit longer. It's awful, but... I'm thinking something happened that day and she just fucking snapped. She snapped. I mean, 55 stab wounds with that much violence, yeah. Some rage? Yeah. She needed some yoga, maybe some therapy... Maybe a good craft. There were some theories that, like, maybe they were lovers, but apparently Pam was a huge homophobe, so that seems somewhat unlikely. Hmm. Pam might have unleashed her rage on someone who was I, I, I really think that's the more likely, is that she was just, she had all this rage built up, and all of this stuff that she'd been hiding from everyone for a really long time, yeah. and it just kind of all came out in that attack. But I don't believe, I don't believe she's been charged I, I know, I think Russ Furia is out. I think he was cleared. But I don't know. This, the last update, this was from January of 2017. So there may be an update. And if there is, we'll definitely tweet it out. But right now, this is, that's all we've got. Yeah. But yeah, Pam Hupp. She's a little bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> this shit was bananas. It, it was, it was. And I appreciate your story. Thank you. Uh, oh, check out our Twitter. We're going to probably start doing uh, Follow Fridays for other podcasts we like. Yes. I'm excited. Yeah, because there's a lot of good small ones out there that we think you would like. But thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, and Podbean. If we're not on your preferred app, let us know so we can get on that shit. Rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes to help spread the word. And don't forget to, sh- to share us to your friends and family. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcasts and on Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity to get the episode tip, recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest a recipe or a topic, email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. High five? High five.